0: Welcome back to the Leadership Fan Podcast, where we're exploring the leadership journey and we seek to influence and encourage aspiring leaders making the climb out there across America and really across the world. And if you're already in the chair, you're already doing leadership, you know what? It is an amazing thing to learn from others. It's an amazing thing to keep sharpening that axe in leadership and Just to give you a little bit of a background uh, on me if you haven't listened to our podcast before i've been in leadership for the past 30 years and i'm passionate about it and i have this basic opinion in our country right now that we need more strong leaders across business and ministry and politics and wherever it is you may work uh we need strong leaders and so we've got to find a way through channels like this to influence folks I say, at a younger age even, and there's a lot of amazing people that have done some great things out there in leadership, and our guest today, I'm really excited that he accepted my invitation, and that he chose to join me today, uh, you know, even though I'm a Kentucky kid, and uh, he played at Tennessee, uh, <laughs> welcome in, Congress, Congressman Heath Shuler.
1: Hey, Joe, thanks so much for having me on, uh, you know, your podcast is incredible, and yeah. you know, looking forward to sharing some time and you know we may talk about that Kentucky Tennessee rivalry (laughs) a little bit let me give you
0: a little bit of a proper intro if I could of course uh, Heath Shuler was a former Tennessee quarterback you correct me if I'm wrong did you finish second in the Heisman race is that right 2nd runner-up pretty amazing Uh, who was like Florida State guy Um, was Charlie Ward you got it there it is former nfl quarterback uh you were a congressman from north carolina for six years amazing you've been a senior vice president you've been a real estate professional um boy you've got your own company now we're going to hear about what have i missed
1: you know it's you know i think uh, you know being a coach probably and you know being a father wow. and a husband is probably at the top of those lists i mean it's uh got to volunteer coach coach my son along the way and you know, but I think the most important thing is being a father and being a and a and a, and, a, and, and a husband to my wife. That uh, you know, my high school sweetheart and college sweetheart, and then off and uh, you know, uh, dated for about seven or eight years, and then ultimately have been married, and we'll celebrate our 25th anniversary here in May. My
0: gosh, well, we've got that in common too. It sounds like uh, I've got 32 years in June, and uh, it's a blessing, man yeah and so that it's a good segue. you know the thing is about me and a lot of people listening to this podcast, a lot of them are my friends, you know uh, sports fans, you know and so a lot of us know about you in the football field and you were an amazing player and um, did some things on the field. a lot of people never have an opportunity to do like playing in the NFL. Very cool. But what I'm interested in doing is kind of parlaying what you learned from all that and how it impacted you as a future leader. And so if you could just kind of talk about how your athletics helped you and helped mold you into the leader that you would ultimately
1: become. I think ultimately I owe so much to athletics, you know, from the coaches uh, that, that mentored me along the way, to my teammates, you know, how to be a better teammate, how to be a better leader, um, to the work ethic that you have, um, uh, challenges and obstacles to overcome, and even dealing with success. I mean, oftentimes we talk about, you know, the success is the easiest one, but I think success sometimes can be, for a leader, can be the most challenging. Uh, oftentimes, uh, people lose focus on the, you know, when they, once they have and become successful, you know, they, they really lose sight of what really put them in that position or that place. You know, it's their teammates, it's the community, it's the fans, it's everyone that has any part and aspect of, of your athletic career and your athletic life. And so, you know, I, I had successes along the way, I had failures along the way. And it's, you know, and keep, you had to be able to keep those in perspective. Um, you know, I mean, um, I think the most challenging to me was to not be too hard on myself. I wanted perfection and I think it made me a better person. It makes me being able to deal with people, whether they're clients or whether they're employees is how to be able to deal with people because I have had those failures. I've had those successes along the way and I, and I watched and learned from those people who I felt made mistakes. And I wouldn't have done it that way, but also the the people that you can turn to and say, hey, that was a really great leader.
0: Absolutely. I'm curious, um, Heath, what's a difference in leadership in coaching and the difference in business? Is there one? I mean, I imagine coaches in a locker room are a little different in their decorum, probably, of course. You know, (laughs) no one's calling HR on them probably, but I I wonder what are the differences between the two as you, I mean, you had this hard transition into, you know, regular professional life when you left football. What's it, what do you think?
1: You know, I I think it was, I I think understanding the people that you're around and, you know, I had my brother. So in in 1999, my brother graduated, had graduated college and uh, shortly after uh, the 97 season and and uh we started our own real estate company in in nineteen ninety nine and and I was in a situation in my you know professional career. Uh, I had gotten injured uh, and I had a less than fifty percent chance of ever playing again with my injury and you know I had to make a a, a change in my career and what I was going to do and I loved real estate and I'll never forget we kind of started through the whole process of how to develop a real estate company. And uh, so there was four of us and there was four people, including my brother was the other. And we started the company and, and I think it was just kind of really treating people with respect and kindness and, and creating a sense of, um, of teamwork and we're working together. We're working as one. And I think of those things that I learned in sports, we went from four people and then 18 months later, we had over 250 employees. And um obviously, uh, employees and and realtors in our company, one of the fastest growing real estate companies in the southeast. it was all organic. We did not purchase another company. Uh, we created some very creative marketing um, ways that we did business, but it really came down of just being you know conducting yourself with integrity and character and and and, and truly being a leader in the sense that it wasn't always about what you would say but it was more about you know, how you presented yourself to those individuals, you know, did you, are you gonna do what you say? And I think ultimately that's the reason why we uh, end up becoming successful. And really our first venture together with my brother and I is how successful we became in the real estate business. But, and we surround ourselves with great people. So we went after you know, the people, we tried to get the best people that could help support what we did and and give them the credibility because they're the ones that really were the backbone behind a lot of our company and the things that we did from the brokers and the people who were answering the phones, we wanted, you know, we wanted to find the best people and, and give them an opportunity to be successful within their own career. And we made it about the employees and we didn't never make it about ourselves.
0: Wow. So you were people focused, fair to say? Without yeah. a doubt.
1: And I think that's when you look at great teams and great coaches, they make it about their team, you know, and they, and, sure. and you look at great individual players, you know, they talk, they want to talk about if it's a great quarterback, they want to talk about, I mean, you know, you can't get, you know, Brady to talk about himself, right? He always, always comes back and wants to talk about, and it's a genuine, you know, I mean, you do see these players, and I've seen it year in and year out. They want to talk, oh, it was my offensive line. That's a great thing to say on TV. And when you're getting interviewed, but what is it really like in the locker room? You know, how is that relationship? And we see quarterbacks who have uh, a true relationships with their players. Um, and I think you have to create that. And it just can't be something that just, you know, that you're given words to. It, it truly has to connect with those individuals. And they say, he's saying it, but he's also doing it. Absolutely. I think that's
0: huge. I think it's modern, kind of a modern day term you hear a lot in leadership, is servant leadership, right? And I imagine, I imagine you had a lot of amazing stories uh, within your staff, right? And I would say that makes you more of a servant leader, you know, because you were so people-focused within your culture and helping people to achieve their dreams and make money they had never made before, probably. Um, yeah. You know, so so then all of a sudden you decide that you want to serve your state. And, and you want to go to Washington and and be a congressman. And, and it, it, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you have to have a mindset of
1: service to do that. Am I right? And that was And it sounded cliche. And I know that there was yeah. a lot of people when I first went in. So I had no intention to ever run for office, first of all. And... So, I had moved back home, and we were raising money for our foundation to send my wife and i's foundation to be able to send uh kids to college and um we were raising money and every every time we would go somewhere and kind of talk to people about you know how we help the community and help the you know the people who who don't have the resources to go to college, and everybody would say, "Hey, you ought to run for office I'm like, you know uh okay i <laughs> I didn't vote every time that I had the opportunity to vote, unfortunately, you know, and so it just kind of led me to like, you know, and I started receiving some phone calls. And, um, you know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, when you get a call from a former president of the United States and they say, you know, and it was President Clinton who called me and said, you know, Heath, he said, um, first of all, him to voicemail, which I did not realize it was the president. And uh, I kept getting calls. People want me to run. And uh, then I called him back, assuming that it would be a staff person that would pick up the phone, connect me through. But it was just him right out of the gate, and um, mm. and you know he, he just said, "Look, I'm I, you know of course I'm calling you to ask you to to run for office. I think you'd be a great leader. I think you'd be great for our country. You're the middle of the road that people want. You're not you know fixed to one political side or the other." Um, and he says the one comment that he made really. Really, you know, kind of dug down deep in my soul, and he says, "He, he says, how good has your country been for you?" And I said, "Greatest country on earth, you know, my country, my community, everyone's. It's been unbelievable. My state, whether it be Tennessee or North Carolina, I said everybody's been great." He said, "Don't you think it's time for you to give back?" Oh my goodness!
0: He went there. Like,
1: He's right. You know, I didn't yeah. want it to. It sounded cliche, man, but I, I really did want to give back. I was giving back from philanthropy standpoint, but I think some of the most important things you can do is give your time. It's one thing to give resources, but to give time and hopefully you can make a difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And far too often, you know, we look at Congress of like, no, nah, they're not doing anything. But in the reality, there's some incredible people. You may not agree with their politics. And most of the time, you don't understand why someone thinks the way they do, but it's possibly because we don't live in their communities. Every community is different, whether you're living in Colorado or you're living in Knoxville or whether you're living in New York City or you're, you're living in Bryson City, North Carolina, where I grew up. Those are all four different, very much different. The people are different. The you know Even the, their beliefs are different as a community. So... You know, I come to realize pretty quickly that, you know, you have to be open minded and but in the most important thing, you have to be respectful. And I think that quality in itself kind of gave me that those leadership skill sets. Um, So when I was in office that I could actually I was able to to deal with both sides of the political aisle. You know, I had just as many friends on the Republican side as I did the Democrat side. And I would definitely say I was respected equally amongst my peers because of just respecting their viewpoint and being, um, really caring about them. You know, I mean, it sounds odd that, you know, you go up to them and ask them how they are doing, you know, yeah, not your campaign, but how are you doing? How are you doing as an individual? You know, what can I pray for you for today? You know, um, and far too often that, you know, uh, people didn't see kind of being humble and you know, the humility that needed to be passed along in Washington. You know, it's, it's, you know, your staff treats you like unbelievably. It's what can I get you today? How can I help you? And um, when in reality, I think that was, as a member, I wanted to give back to my staff, make it the best work environment they possibly could go. I mean, so many evenings, I would say, guys, it's 830, it's nine o'clock, it's 10 o'clock at night. What are all you still doing in the office? and it's because we created a work atmosphere and play people wanted to be there Um, and it really got back to how you treat individuals and i think that's you know even though you know i you know become the co-chair of the blue dog organization uh, which is a moderate democrat uh, that worked with republicans and democrats to kind of bring policy back to the middle um, was probably one of the greatest things but you know, and being involved in the C Street House and, you know, um, and the mm-hmm. National Prayer Breakfast. That was probably the times that I miss most. I miss my time with my, you know, my housemates and, you know, time of mm-hmm. prayer and and praying, praying with one another and the Bible study that we did. And, you know, I mean, it was those things that, that I miss most. And it was my colleagues and, you know, and watching them. And hopefully I was a good influence on them because I know so many of them were a positive influence in my life.
0: I love that you just took us kind of inside that world for those of us who don't come from there. And I was just with you and a large group of folks in Washington, D.C., I don't know, six weeks or eight weeks ago, whatever it was. And um, and, in watching you, you know, I noticed you didn't make it political. You and I are both there supporting career education and great schools out there where folks are learning trade skills and vocational skills and, you know, and jobs that, frankly, we need filled in this country. And. And, and beyond, just a quick question on Washington, though, because oh, this is a slippery slope. I'll be careful here. But oh, no,
1: you're you, fine. There's you, no, there's no question. It's
0: <laughs> I'm just curious. He, this is a question I ask all the time. I'm a simple, simple kid, really. But I, I just wondered, will we find a leader, eventually, or leaders that are going to bring us back together um, that can speak the way you just did? and and all this divisiveness and name calling and bullying and everything that we're seeing on both sides of the aisle, in my opinion, you know, do we have hope that that leader is gonna come out of the woodwork and bring us back together down the road?
1: You know, I think it's gonna be challenging, uh, but I do think that there could be something on the horizon that could be positive. Some things that I've been working, you know, individually with and some individuals. um, I think it's challenging because it is not a job that, um, that once you're in, if you are in the middle of the road, you get hit from both political sides. You know, the Republicans, you know, in my case, the Republicans, I was a, a Democrat that was pulling independent votes. Like in my district, I, was, I had 80% approval rating from the independent voters, which far and exceeded. That's why I was, you know, I won such great margins in my district, even though I was in a Republican district. Mm. Uh, I would overwhelmingly win my elections because I was pulling the independent voter, um, and I think that is where most members—they were scared that. How can I say this as nice and as polite as possible, but it still the listeners and the viewers kind of get an, an understanding. Most members need the job. I didn't need the job. Gotcha. I wanted the job to be able to help people. Most members need it for it's the only, it's it's for their ego, it's greed and power, mm-hmm. and probably the, the other one that's that that I look at it is is it's the only job that they can have. They've only been involved in politics. I see, and so. It's it sometimes you have to you, you, you start to realize which one of those members and what makes them tick, right? And what makes them want to do the job that they have. So which category did they fall in? Greed and power category, only job they could have, or was some are there for all the right reasons. And those individuals are the ones that we really need to serve. We don't need those individuals that are there for ego or greed. Mm. Or power. We don't need those individuals. That's the only job that they could have. Uh, it's the only job that they know. Uh, and so if we can eliminate those, and you're going to have about a third of the Congress left, I think right now that that margin may be less than a third now. Um, and unfortunately, I think something very negative has to happen. You know, Either something negative has to happen or the perfect storm has to happen. And I believe that, um, from a, heaven forbid, that we have something negative that unites our country together. And that's the last time, 9-11 was the last time you saw members of Congress standing together singing God bless America on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. You know, we've gone through some challenging times. I don't want to see that again. The other thing is the perfect storm. And I think we just may see that this next election cycle. Okay. I really believe with all my heart that if it becomes Biden and Trump again that the third party person that is that could be out there could actually overwhelmingly win the election. Because do you really? I wow. Do, I think it's the first time in our history. Music to my ears. It has to happen with Biden and Trump being on the ticket. Okay. I think if either one of them are exchanged out you're going to see you know for various reasons, the Democrat or the Republican. But with those two individuals on the ticket, I have a strong opinion that a very good, strong, credible, moderate, one chosen from the Democrat side, one chosen from the Republican side running on the ticket together, could actually win a primary.
0: That is a fascinating theory. I I love that because... My son and I were talking this week about how that's just not reality financially and, uh, and and otherwise. And it never has been in our country anyway. What's the best we've seen? 10%? Ross Perot, I think. Um, yeah, but
1: remember you had you had credible, not to take a note, you, you had a sense, I mean, it's the perfect storm, right? Yeah. I mean, it has to be Biden and it has to be Trump yeah. in order to... Till you get have the perfect storm, and if you have the perfect storm, and you have that third individual that's out there that's actually, you know, talking like eighty percent of the American people are, because I think unfortunately those two individuals are talking about the ten percent fringe on both sides of the political aisle, far left, far right, and and let's be honest, we're all in the middle, sick and tired of hearing it. You know, what about America? You know, pledging allegiance to your political party. Is not moving our country in the right direction.
0: Amen. I'm with you on that. In fact, I got to tell you, I turned the media off and just turned podcasts on. Not hey, really. I, hey, let's listen know. to Joe. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I I just want to play a small role, as I think we all should as Americans, to do our part to influence. I think that's you know John Maxwell always talks about how yeah. you know leadership is influence, and I always say this on this show, but you know, it's nothing less, nothing more. And uh, if, if I can have a small influence on folks with people who have done significant things out there like yourself, um, you know, we're doing the right things, I think. Let me switch gears a little bit really quick. You know, you have been a coach and you've been a leader of a business. You've made a payroll, you, you know, all those things. You've been a servant in Washington, D.C. So talk to me about who was mentoring you along the way, because so many leaders, I don't know if it's ego or if it's shyness, if what it is, not enough of, enough of us have had great mentors who have wow. taught us, right, best practices. Did you have some along the way?
1: You know, I still have them.
0: You oh, know, and good. I think
1: that's the important thing to still have those mentors. And, and if I look really back, I mean, I think there was a lot of different mentors in different areas of my life. So within sports, I had incredible coaches, you know, so I can actually, I can relate to so many of the things that those coaches meant to me, you know, coaches and the things they said to how to, you know, be a better uh, teammate, you know, how to kind of dig deep down in the soul and, and work harder than any other person on the field, you know, that's motivating mentors that motivate you, that, that make you accountable. And I think that's the most important thing to remember with a mentor. You want those mentors who are accountable to you. Tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. That's because right. if they tell you what you need to hear, that's the true, that, that is a true, true mentor. And I can remember those coaches telling me what I needed to hear, mm. uh, not what I wanted to hear. When things were successful, I'll never forget my sophomore year in high school, my, you know, we just, I played a half of a game, hmm. didn't play the second half and threw five touchdown passes. I was on top of the world. I mean, front page of the paper was, you know, our team and, you know, Schuler throws five touchdown passes. I'll never forget my high school coach comes in the next, you know, Monday and the papers on his desk calls me into his office and he said, did you read the paper? I said, yes, sir. And I'm, proud. And I was, yes, sir. You know, I thought he was going to say, Hey, that's great job. Great article. This is awesome. And he looked at that and he said, this is garbage. And he threw it in the trash can and he turned around and he said, now let's watch the tape. And he went through every single play and critiqued <laughs> everything that I did. And I wow. made a lot of mistakes And he looked over at that newspaper and he said, Heath, you're never as good nor as bad as they say. And so if you'll remember that, you can be successful in life. But remember, the most important thing is not, if you want to be the best that you can be, don't remember all just the good things, but you've got to go in and fix the negative things. And at that point in time, until I got into Congress, I never read another newspaper article about myself. I'd read about my team, and it happened, you know, if I was in the article or something, but I didn't read those articles because of that. So, so I felt good. that it really never gave, it was not, there was nothing constructed that could come out of it. So and so, um, and that's, that's how my coach felt. And so as I went through time, um, I, I really, you know, owed that to him. And as I got in the business world, you know, I surrounded myself with really positive people. Um, ironically enough, I surrounded myself with people that I hired that were also my mentors. You know, people that mentored me along the way and would be accountable to me um, or me be accountable to them. And so um, I had numerous Dr. Charlie Mercer, my Aunt Avis Phillips, my father. Um, was a great mentor. My grandmother was a mentor that absolutely showed me, you know, how to live a, you know, a really a, a, a Christian life. I mean, it was really, she's the one. She took me to church before. She took me to Sunday school. She, she showed me. I watched her. It wasn't the things that she ever said, but it was the way she carried herself. I mean, it's people like that. My Aunt Avis, who is just an incredible business lady and, you know, someone I really lean to. And, you know, I, I watch my own wife and how to be a better parent because I watch how she parents, and I watch how she's dealt with my kids. And so I think I've just surrounded myself with the people that, uh, that really hold me accountable and, most importantly, that, that uh, I think I showed them in return a lot of love for what they have given me. You were really fortunate that way. Yeah, oh, you know, we've I'm talked so on this. Lucky. I've had so many great people, but you know, you have to search those individuals out.
0: Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, I mean, you really Let's do. Be they don't
1: necessarily come to. It has to be intentional. You have to. You have to go. And I, I tell my sons in college and playing at the University of Tennessee as a quarterback there, and I said, when you leave a room, leave with as many business cards as you possibly can collect. Get those contacts, develop those relationships. You never know when that relationship becomes, you know, such an important part of your future. And uh, you know, I had Johnny Majors, who was my coach at Tennessee, you know, said, "Hey, collect business cards." And you know, ironically enough, I still have a box full of business cards from my college days. And it's not that they're not useful as much anymore, uh, but it just kind of a sign of you've got to work on the relationships every day. I tell my son that, and, you know, I look at my, you know, coach former who, who, um, you know, not only was he a great mentor, but now he's been, a, uh, become a business partner, but he's also been, you know, uh, become a true friend. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I still call him coach, but I mean, he's, he's Phillip now, um, as opposed to just being my coach, but it's, uh, um, you have to be intentional about seeking, for advice from the people that you've seen conduct themselves in the right manner.
0: Absolutely. We had a little connection problem there, Heath. We lost you on a video, but I think we can keep going here. You got me? Yes, sir. Oh, good, good. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, as you were speaking there, and we'll let this kind of straighten out itself a little bit, um, about, you know, there are two kinds of leaders, you know, the one who is humble and the one who's about to be humble. <laughs> right? That's you have so probably true. heard that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so if you're a leader out there right now, maybe you're a younger leader and you're making your way up the ladder, if you will. I think it's important. I'm guilty of this. You've got to seek out mentors, people that oh, will yes. give you the hard truth occasionally. And so he speaks truth there.
1: And, um, and it's I honestly did not do that enough. successful and you need to do that when things are successful. Mm-hmm. It, it, we all seek for advice when things are going bad. Seek it when things Absolutely. are at its height. That's when you need to go and find. But don't wait until that happens. You'll be able to be more successful, faster, and earlier if you seek them out today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Absolutely.
0: And then on the newspaper, uh, you know, lesson that you learned, yeah, I think Nick Saban calls that rat poisoning, right? <laughs> I <think he> does. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all about the SEC today. You know, I was going to make a joke on Bill Clinton about his being an Arkansas fan, but I left it alone. Uh, we yeah, won't hold well, that against yeah. him, right?
1: <laughs> they're at least – they're in the SEC family, and that's all that matters.
0: That's, that's right. Uh, man, we got to hold that family together. You know, they start bringing all these different teams in. I don't know if I understand it all, but – uh, when I want speaking of SEC and higher education and what I know you're a, a supporter of education and you're involved and so am I. I make my living uh, still in, in in the realm of higher ed and career ed. I wonder what your general thoughts are on where we are, um, just nationally within higher education, the state of education, because it impacts our ability to educate these young people in the area of leadership and business and really life so what
1: are your thoughts well I, I think we're, we're really missing an important opportunity to help uh, students out I mean yes it's great to have four years of English uh, three years of history you know four years of math two years of foreign language but I think one of the most important and missing links is we don't we are not teaching kids how you know basic economics and financial management Mm-hmm. And so the very first sure. thing what happens is when a student and we we're com- continuing to pile ourselves up with student debt, mm-hmm. Here's part of the reason why student debt's so high is because no one is teaching them what compounded interest is mm-hmm. when they are in school and they've taken out their first semester, their second semester, their third semester, their eighth mm-hmm. semester. And that money continues to keep piling up at a, an extraordinarily high interest rate. We are, that in itself, and along with, oh, it's easy. You know, get a credit card. You turn around. You max it out. Get another credit card. Max it out. You default on it. Then when the real life happens and you want to you get your first home and you've made enough money and hopefully, you, 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 know, you know, to reestablish and start establishing credit is very, very challenging for them especially when they have such a tremendous amount of debt. So um, I think if we could teach them, I don't know how many kids today have their own personal checking account. That's juniors, seniors in high school. It doesn't have, it can have be $50 in the account, but mm-hmm. someone needs to teach them how to write a check. Where to sign a check, how to deposit a check, where to sign on the back of the check, what to put on the back of the check, you know, <laughs> teach them the basic economics. You know, it's one, and I'm glad that we're learning foreign languages and stuff like that, but we don't necessarily use that foreign language every single day. But the things that we do need to understand is what, you know, interest rates is, you know, what does that mean? What does it entail? You go buy your first home and, you know, you look 30 years and it's amortized out what you're actually paying for a $300,000 home at a 7% current interest rate, what that looks like in 30 years and how long it's going to take you to to pay that uh, house off. What does that mean? Um, I don't, we're not doing that. That has to be a part of our curriculum from a high school level. And when we get into college, I -hmm. I, I think that as AI and other things kind of come on and things go, I'm hoping we're gonna start transitioning to kind of the real life work earlier than spending two years of education after you've already had 12 years of education uh, you know that's where we should be learning our basics and then when we get into college we need to start learning from you know I'd love to see more real life experiences being taught you know people like in my company I've hired former executives in their area of expertise I would like to see those individuals go back and teach classes and give them the real world experience in the in 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 the areas that they have been successful with I think um, Showing them what it is actually like in it, because and and, you know, and I think you know the challenge is, you know, what are you going to make? I mean, what are you going to make when you get out of school? What is that? What is it worth? What is the cost going into it? And I think we're seeing a lot of that, a lot of challenges of 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 cost of education as it continues to go up. I think there's a lot of things that be done, but if there's one thing that I would like to see done more in school altogether, and it has to start at at, in, in elementary school. Is dealing with dyslexia. Oh wow. So I am a I'm Perfect. dyslexic. Both my kids are dyslexic. Um, one out of every five Americans are dyslexic. And, you know, it's some of the most creative minds in business and arts and music and sports uh, are dyslexic and the hard work that they have to go through. And yeah, they may not test as well on a on a standardized test like the ACT or the SAT, which I totally think they should do away with. But mm-hmm. they have an incredible work ethic and an incredible minds. And some of those are not being given the opportunity based upon a test. But it's the uh, Richard Branson's of the world that is, that is, um, it's the Einstein's of the world that are dyslexic, you know. It's the Tim Tebow's who played college football, arguably one of the greatest high school players ever. You know, it's uh, uh, Tom Cruise as an actor. I mean, a lot of artists. I mean, uh, you know, uh, there's all these people that have have really been thinking outside the box uh, for a very, very long time. lot of skill sets. we need to start teaching our kids you know how to deal with dyslexia and give them the necessary tools like you know my kids were fortunate we were able to afford to go to a school that kind of you know give them some tools to be able to to deal with dyslexia and you know they're you know out of high school they're all on honor rolls you know great gpas you know uh, going to major universities you know you know my son's in the academic You know, um, um, you know, well over a 3.0 in college, and still, you know, all the hours he has to spend in athletics, you know, watching them. uh, There's a lot of kids that we're missing in 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 both in in elementary school. We're losing them in high school because they feel like, you know, that reading is a challenge for them, or maybe some of their math skills are not where it needs to be, and they just need to be taught a little bit differently than than some of the other students and and if we can go to that we can actually change a level of poverty you know some of the latest statistics in, in the minority populations in in prison that over 50% of the the imprisoned um inmates that are minorities are, are over 50% of them are dyslexic dyslexia no has nothing to do with their uh their their IQ right, right, right. Uh, very smart it's just you know that they, they just have and so sometimes they you know, they want to be the class clown, or it's so hard, it's a struggle, and so I'm very passionate about uh, uh, Dr. Cassidy, who is Bill Cassidy, Senator Cassidy's uh, wife in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is doing a phenomenal job with some schools in Louisiana, making a difference with so many kids, and and her leadership, I have just been blown away with her gift that, that she's given back to so many people, and, you know, working across political spectrums, and you know, the governor Mm. of of, uh, Louisiana and her working together and and helping these kids out and producing more dyslexic schools across Louisiana. So many more places have to start looking at that and there's, you know, 600 kids in one school. Some are driving two hours one way just to go to school per day. I mean, just uh, the sacrifices that these parents are making and, you know, there's some great leadership that's going on out there, but there needs to be awakening here in the in in America about our education and how and it's hard it's expensive because you have to have more teachers per student uh, but it's a great way to learn and it's just not a, a way to learn for kids that are dyslexic but it's a way that we all should be learning wow it's hard to get on my soapbox Joe but you, if I get those you off days, get D- those you know days, what talk about dyslexia you know it's important I, it. I mean I did not know I was dyslexic until I had a son that was in first grade and I realized after watching him take the test, I thought he would gotten all the answers right. When in reality, he didn't get any of them right. And it was a, an abstract test. It's not like a standard comprehension or. Uh, yeah. uh, it was. It was really an abstract test, and um, I found that out that day because it's 100% inherited. Um, one of the the uh, if you're dyslexic, one of your parents has to be dyslexic, and so, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, I'd like to be able to everyone to be able to have the same gift that my two kids had to go to a school like the Carolina day school in Asheville North Carolina uh, which they have the key program key school there um, you know and wow. they got the ski the key schools now in Louisiana that dr Cassidy is is giving so um, we need to do much kids
0: so many opportunities and boy that sounds like a really great one for sure
1: oh it is a couple with yeah, the so- Boys and girls club here in Knoxville now so there's a lot of, um, I'm on the board at the Boys and Girls Club here of the greater Tennessee Valley and um, it's amazing to watch these kids when they come in and they feel like they're struggling academically and you know, and getting some of these tools and, and the, kind of the light starts to go off and mm-hmm. see their success and you know, how they're actually growing and you know, it's the self-confidence that they have going into the classroom and, and it's just amazing how it improves their entire life.
0: You know, I think that's why I loved career education so much in my life, even though I also work in higher education, yeah. is because they're so innovative and they're able to pivot and be creative and go where the customer is or where the student is yeah. and, you know, meet them where they're at. You know, you talk about sort of what I would call real-life application. You know, it's it happens in the church today. You know, some of my best, some of the best Bible learning I ever do is when the pastor is, you know, Really focused on real life applications, so he
1: applies it to life, right? And and so I I try to. I call them coaches instead of preachers. Now you know. Yeah, but you you know however you learn.
0: It's relatable. Yeah, and and so when I'm you know in one of my leadership classes today, I try my best. I'm not perfect at it, but I try to say, okay, listen. In my experience, this is what I have found. Right. And I'll share that experience with the students instead of just sticking to that text. But I, I think we're, in a, we're at a crossroads with education right now. where We have a real opportunity for reform and for change. And um, I think that it's interesting what's happening because now the student is starting to demand that. And yes. their mindset is really changing. Let's talk about the students really quickly if we could. Um, you know, athletes. I was talking to a guy. I don't know if you know a broadcaster by the name of Dave Shore. Um, he uh, worked for ESPN for years, and yes, yes. And, mm-hmm. yeah, do you know, Dave? Okay, well, he was on the podcast a couple of weeks. yeah, he's a great guy, and he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we were in Lexington together, and he and I started talking about athletes and hiring athletes out of college.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I wonder if you have much experience with that, you know if you have an opinion on on hiring college athletes for better or for worse.
1: So uh, if I look at it, I I had preferred to hire a collegiate athlete. If everything being equal, a collegiate athlete will, will certainly, in, in the way I look at it or participated, if not even in college, but if they played in athletics in high school and they were a part of a team, I think they have a much better way how you deal with a team and it becomes a team effort. It's Sometimes it's a real challenge when no one played, if they didn't play on a team. Uh, you have to kind of teach them, right? You have to kind of direct them and show them how it works. And so sometimes it kind of, you know, but I I put that kind of at the top of my list and it's Mm -hmm. been, it's not only working with a team, it's the work ethic, you know, the work ethic, you know, I mean, you have to outwork everyone else. I mean, there's no substitute for that. I mean, work hard, work smarter, you know, work, do the things that's necessary and and want to be successful. I think that's what sports kind of gives you. You want to be successful. And so you want to win. And let's be realistic. I mean, we can, you know, it's really easy to say, oh, everything's great and it's wonderful and kumbaya, but in the reality, I want to win. I Absolutely. want to win. I want my clients to win. Uh mm. I want them to be successful. And I think that when you have people that have that, that mentality you get there faster. And the faster you get there, the more successful you become, the more money that, you're, uh, that your company can make and the more that you can share with others.
0: Yeah. For time's sake, I'll make this quick. I'm waiting for a check in the mail for this, but it, it hasn't come yet. For years, <laughs> I hired enterprise car rental employees. Um, yes, yes. You know, mm-hmm. at the institutions I was in leadership at. And, uh, you know, they had a great sales training program there. Yeah, you, with athletes, you, yeah. Yeah, and you had you know females washing cars in, in heels and working sixty hours a week and learning how to sell and you know it was a remarkable part. We probably hired fifteen or twenty of those guys over the years and gals, and um, yeah. I have a high value in them. But anyway, fast forward to story. Dave and I were talking, and I tried to quiz him. There's one kind of college athlete, one particular sport that I happen to love to hire the most. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you this. It's not football, okay? Okay. Could you possibly guess which athlete I think might be the most driven of them all? Well,
1: sometimes in individual sports, you know, you get really driven in the individual sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I, I try. 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 That's a good one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's actually wrestling. Um, oh,
1: very good. Yes.
0: And I know you in football, you guys played with a lot of wrestlers, and they were good players, right?
1: I wrestled in high school. So did I. It's a small school, so we had to do everything. <laughs> Everybody thinks football was my favorite sport. It wasn't. It was number two. Track was my favorite.
0: Wow, very cool. No. Yeah, when we were kids, you know, you played everything. You know, and now it seems like you got to play one all year That's to be why. great at it, and it's kind of different. But but both my boys wrestled, and anyway, I tried to make it a standard to really give wrestlers an opportunity whenever I had a chance because yeah. six minutes on a mat and to prepare for a match and. It,
1: it's a it's a very difficult, grueling sport, and,
0: and most people don't know.
1: Oh, it is grueling. Uh, that is, <laughs> I'm not surprised with that. That would be good. Yeah. I, that's why I said that in track, some individual but yet team sport. Yeah.
0: Well, I've got a. I, I'm having a blast talking to you, but I have to watch the clock and be a responsible host. So, want to go a little rapid fire with me? Quick, yeah. Let's quick, and we'll finish things up today very good okay here we go so your favorite all-time quarterback
1: my favorite all-time quarterback no. joe montana current mm. quarterback would actually be well just retired uh tom brady oh, two amazing ones
0: i have to share with you my lifelong favorite athlete of all time is john elway so uh, uh another another good one
1: <laughs> i love elway
0: all right, all-time favorite um, coach of any kind or favorite leader? Uh, really? Favorite
1: leader, Mother Teresa.
0: Oh, wow. Amazing. Talk about setting an example for all believers and all people out there, right?
1: Yes.
0: So real quick, just high level, not as rapid fire, but what drives, he's Schuler. what drives you every day? Tomorrow. Yeah excellent
1: you know that's what drives me i I love waking up the next day and just see you know i'm I'm, and i live you know i live for the moment but i live to make you know to see how how tomorrow develops a person how tomorrow's things that we did today how it becomes successful tomorrow and so you know i look at i i i I do look ahead and I, i i cherish the moment that we live in but I do like to see how things are, ultimately become successful. Just just kind of knock that rear view mirror out of your windshield and just look forward. You can huh? learn from it, but you know, don't dwell on it. Absolutely. Move forward.
0: Kind of a random question here. Toughest place you ever played in the SEC? Florida. Yeah, Swamp, huh? The swamp was yeah. a tough place to play. I don't get to talk to guys that have done it like you very often, so I had to ask you that one of those questions. Yeah, that was for me. Yeah. Death Valley's pretty tough
1: too, right? Uh, I, I no, know. it wasn't. I mean, we it, got in no? early. They quietened down pretty quickly, so that was not a challenge.
0: How was Commonwealth when you were playing in Lexington? Was it was that cold a good place to win me? <laughs> cold <laughs> and windy because we always played you in
1: November. Yeah. Yes, it was cold, wet, and windy.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. You were there around 93, 94 or something yes, like that, I right? I played
1: um, two twice there. Um, I um, guess my, senior, my my junior year was my last year before I turned pro. So uh, I played both my uh, freshman year there. Andy Kelly was a quarterback. I think my sophomore year was actually in Knoxville, and then my my last year. Yeah, for sure, my last year was in. Because one, I threw. I got to throw a pass. I think it may have been the first pass I completed to my brother, who was oh, a cool. that year was in Lexington. Wow! And so you never played against Couch, right? He was the year after you left, right? He was. I think. Uh, let's see. No. Let's see. Yeah. I think. No. I think. I think he was there, right? Was he? Um, I don't remember. And so I know he and Manning faced off for sure. Yeah. So uh, Peyton came in as a freshman the next year. Uh, you know, I, I, am pretty sure he was a freshman that year when I was a junior. Okay. Uh, so. And they didn't so, yeah, put I, him in that much. We were all calling for it, but yeah, I remember hosting him uh, at Tennessee. Great guy. I always, oh, you yeah. know. So I remember that. Yeah. So he was. I think he was a year ahead of Peyton out of high school. I may be totally wrong, but I think so.
0: You talk about random.
1: This is random. But I find, I'm a
0: Tim Couch fan. I, I still believe he was not an NFL bust. Uh, I believe he we went to the wrong team and the wrong system and everything else. Let me but. tell
1: you what. He was way more, I mean, he, I, you know, A, I'm, I'm, I know people have said that about me too. But I can tell you being at the right place at the right time is the single most important thing uh yep. there is a reason tim was the first quarterback chosen there's a reason i was the first quarterback chosen because the teams we went to were three Stunk. and 13 the year before
0: his was expansion right
1: so yeah i mean it's challenging i mean you, you they, they you know just didn't play well
0: but what i was going to tell you is i don't think i don't guess you follow him on social media or not but the guy is just ripped i mean That's
1: he makes... I heard i heard that <laughs> I heard he, he, makes
0: looks me now, he looks like a linebacker he's just ripped yeah and like your son his kid now is going to go play at the university of kentucky as well so oh, great pretty cool well this yeah. has been this has been a treat and i could probably do another 50 minutes with you but i'd be in trouble and we don't want that and
1: thank you so much 8th, Yo, thank for doing you doing this. So much. you've been an incredible host i greatly appreciate this and appreciate what you do with the students you know with teaching them and teaching leadership, I mean, I think it's a real quality that, you know, the more we know, sometimes you can be a leader, but the more you know about a leader, you can be a great follower, too. And not and everyone then, has to lead. But if you understand and know why, you know, whether it be your boss or, you know, or a coach or anyway, I think it really helps when you understand leadership as a whole.
0: hundred percent. Now, how can people follow you or is there anything going on in your life you want to promote or tell us yeah.
1: about no, I mean you know it's it's kind of you know it's 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 you know life is good. I mean we do everything from you know our, we got a capital company that we you know we 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 do loans from a you know kind of um, you know with businesses uh, we we you know we do integrated strategy group is is where we do a lot of um, uh, helping businesses we do public relations international affairs we do you know, uh, business kind of, you know, helping businesses work with private equities, you know, we kind of do that. And I think really the only social media that I actually, you know, it's, it's uh, at Heath Schuler five on Twitter is about the only thing. So I think the only thing I ever talk about is my kids. My daughter yesterday signed with the university of Tennessee. So uh, to be on the dance team. So my daughter would now be because the dance team obviously is a part of the football program and they run through the T. So the T at university is very important, very significant, you know, part. Everyone talks about, the, you know, when you run out on the field, you're running through the power T. My daughter will be the seventh shuler in our family to run through the T. Wow, what a – jeez! Yeah, so our family has had more football players and now her being on the – than any other – uh, family in Tennessee history.
0: Amazing. And the football team's putting it together, so that's good.
1: We got a great coach and staff, a great athletic director. We got a great um uh, president and chancellor. I mean it's all the pieces of the puzzle at the University of Tennessee are in place and and that's the reason why it starts at the top. Starts at the very top whether it be in the program or top at the university and and we, you know, Randy Boyd is our president, um, is and Dr. Plowman is as uh, our chancellor, and Danny White is our athletic director, and Josh Heipel is our football po- coach. And if you look at all of our sports, I mean, it's been absolutely incredible. When you put all those pieces together, I mean, uh, it's been well, congratulations. Great. Yeah, that's Passed awesome. To, to the leaders, yeah, we're pretty attending.
0: excited about. Um the Football leadership in Lexington, too. It's been, you know, that's a tough thing to do. I went up
1: there and and did a a visit that that, uh, they recruited him um, uh, out of high school. And it was really really remarkable. We had a great thing. One of my best friends in the world lives in Lexington, uh, Ben Chandler, former member of Congress from Lexington. Oh, yeah. Absolutely love Ben Chandler. You know, his grandfather was Happy Chandler, commissioner of Major League Baseball. And I just love Ben to death, he and his family. His wife came down and and uh, watch the Tennessee Kentucky game this year. And we're going to return the favor and go up to Lexington this year and watch the game with them.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Um, boy, I was thinking about something. That, you're a country music guy?
1: I do. I love country yeah. music.
0: So there's this big song out about wearing Tennessee orange for him. You know that song? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I
1: have. Yes, yes. <laughs> Megan Maroney
0: sings it. Yes, and, you man. know, she's a Georgia fan she's and she a says it. It's a in Georgia, it's a sin, but I'm wearing Tennessee orange Not for Tennessee him. Tennessee
1: orange, anyway, yeah,
0: for him. I love. All right, he. Well, let's Have close this break. out. Let's close this out really quick, guys. It's been awesome today again. I want to please continue to ask you to follow us, like everything you see about the podcast. Tell your friends. We had huge week over week growth last week, thanks to so many leadership followers like you. And I'm just thankful. So until next week, go out and make some big ripples in your companies and with your people. And until I see
1: you next, God bless.